So I'm wondering how long it's been since you last spoke. Spoke to that person that at one time was very, very close to you. And there was a fallout. How long has it been? Maybe you go, I, I, I don't have one of those. Well, how, how long has it been since they, they last spoke? My friend says it's been 10 years since his aunt and uncle have spoken. He says it's a little strange when we go to the old country, visit him in Norway, got to visit him one at a time. We don't bring the other one up because that conversation always goes to a bad place. He recalls just a few years back on his deathbed, his own dad, the middle child, right between the two, calling each of them individually, asking them to forgive each other. Four different conversations just happened into my world this week, each of them reminding me that we live in a broken world that is filled with fractured relationships, and they're as close as our own families, brothers and sisters, fathers and children, husbands and wives, and on the list goes. How long has it been since you last spoke? How often did you think about it right, right after the fallout when the hurt just seemingly tore your heart right out of you? Did you think about it for a few days, a few months? Did you dream about it for a few years? Do you want to reconcile? Are you afraid to? If you want to, do you know how to? Do you know your next step? What's your strategy if they continue to rebuff your efforts to reconcile? That's where we're at in Genesis 45 as we continue the story of Joseph. So those of you up north, classic service right here, Arbors, grab your Bible, and let's get into the story, Genesis 45, this ancient text that is oh so current. And we come to this great story of reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers, and though we're going to handle it in a message, let's not forget, this is a story that's 22 years in the making. So think back, where were you 22 years ago? That's a long, long time. That's 1992. Do I got my math right? That's a long time ago. 22 years in the making. And what we hear and see so powerfully in the text is this truth that forgiveness is a process where we actually choose. That, that, that this process is rooted in our will, not in our emotions, where we choose grace over guilt, where we choose blessing over revenge. Look at verse 1 and 2. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. Everyone out! 
So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and Pharaoh's household heard about it. So if you're joining us, I got to get you the context here. And the context is this. The context is his brothers have come back for more grain. Joseph gives them more grain. They come back with Benjamin like he asked them to. When he saw Benjamin, he could hardly control himself. He ran out of the room, wept, threw some cold water on his face and went back in, sent him off with sacks of grain and had his cup of divination planted in Benjamin's sack. They got a few miles out of Egypt. He sent his minions after him. They bring him back. And they say, one of you have stolen my cup. They say, we haven't stolen your cup. You find your cup in one of our sacks, then you can take our life. You can throw us in jail. You can do whatever you want with us. And he starts. This is this uncanny thing that's already happened. When he sat him at the table in chronological order, they're going, freaky. It's not like there's three of them. There's, there's a lot of them. 11 of them, and he starts with Reuben, and he goes to Simeon, and he goes to Levi, and he goes to Judah, and he ends up, they're feeling really good. 10 out of 10, no cup. And then they open up Benjamin's sack, and there it is. They can't believe it. And what Joseph experiences at that time is just huge as he sees this unbelievable transformation at work by the grace of God and his brothers, his brothers who hated their dad who played favorites, their brothers who hated him for being the favorite, their brothers who, who sold him as a slave. And all of a sudden they see this transformation. He's been hearing it. He's been sensing it. It's looking good. But now he knows more than just words. He sees there's been a heart change. And it all comes to bear when Judah steps forward and says, we can't let our father, I can't let my father go through this. You got to put me in jail. You got to take my life, my life for his. As they show their complete transformation. And as he's encountered this, the emotions that have been pent up for 22 years now hit their peak. He can contain it no more. He sends everyone out, and then there's this volcanic emotion. Everyone out as he reveals himself. The emotion of 22 years of all the hard things that he's experienced. The emotion of seeing his brothers change. The emotions of all the things that he's been through. From being sold as a slave to being a servant. To being falsely accused. To being forgotten in prison. The emotions of seeing God bringing their lives mysteriously together. Unbelievable emotion. 22 years. Emotions of 7,800 plus days. 187,000 hours, all there, not just down deep, but just below the surface and now just exploding. And though he wept so loudly that the walls couldn't keep it in, the reaction of the brothers is the complete opposite, verse 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph, it's me, it's your brother, I'm Joseph. 
Is my father still living? Check this out. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. <laughs> they're, 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 they're like beyond stunned. Their jaws are below the floor. I mean, they just cannot believe it. And they are completely undone, freaked out, going, oh my word. This man with his position and power is our brother and we know what we've done to him and it's, we're done. They're shocked. They don't have anything to say. But let's note what Joseph said. And as we read his words, we wonder how many times he thought about what he would say. And we note what he said and what he left unsaid. Verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. He did not mince words. He did not sweep it under the carpet. He didn't sugar it up. I'm Joseph. You sold me into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land and for the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. I mean, if, if he had rehearsed his speech, I don't think it was this in the early days. Maybe it would have been more like, how could have you done this to your own flesh and blood? How do you sell a brother for 20 measly shekels of silver? How could you put me in a place where I'd be stripped from everything that was known and familiar? Do you know the kind of pain and anguish I've been? Let me tell you what's happened in my life. Let me tell you about my imprisonment. Let me tell you about the false accusations that got me there. Let me tell you of the 13 years where everything was just dark. He could have thrown him in jail, returned with Benjamin to dad. He could have focused on their guilt and himself. But he takes a remarkably different course. He chooses grace over guilt. He gets his eyes on the bigger story, not just his story. Forgiveness is a process where we choose grace over guilt. And blessing over revenge. That's where it goes next in the text. In verse 9, we read, Now hurry back to 
my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I'll provide for you there. Because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. This is an amazing story. So he goes from focusing on grace and not their guilt to blessing and not seeking revenge. The blessing is metered out as he says, hey, Go get your families. You didn't save my life. I, I want to save your lives. I, I want to provide for you. Go get dad. Bring back your wives. Bring back your children, your grandchildren. I'm going to provide for you these next five years. Blessing of reunion instead of remaining alienated, embracing them through the tears, not just his brother, his full brother, Benjamin, but all of his half-brothers, all those scoundrel brothers that threw him, the last time he embraced them, they had thrown him in the pit. And now he throws his arms wide open to these brothers catching up over the last 22 years of the story, the pained expressions of the brothers as they heard the twists and turns of those hard years, the amazement as it went from being forgotten in prison to being remembered to interpreting a dream to going from the prison to the palace to the second in command, the seven years of planning, the famine, the storehouse. Choosing blessing over revenge. Here's what Jesus teaches. Love your enemies, Luke 6, 27. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I mean, it'd be easy for us to go, well, yeah, Joseph was in a good position because he could see the heart change. Jesus say, there's no heart change in what he's talking about. We're loving enemies. We're doing good to those who hate us. We're blessing those who are cursing us. We're praying for those who mistreat us. Blessing over revenge. So when the news reached Pharaoh, verse 16, He's happy. He's pleased. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace, the Joseph's brothers had come. Pharaoh and all the officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan. And bring your father and your families back to me. I'll give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you can enjoy the fat of the land. You're also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children, your wives, and get your father and come. Go rent some U-Hauls, he's saying. I'll give you the U-Hauls. You don't have to rent them. 
Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them, he gave new clothing. Huh, the one who had his, his ornamented robe ripped off his back, he gives them new clothing. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with the grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away and as they were leaving, he said to them, it was almost like, if you remember the old Columbo, remember the old Columbo detective thing, and right as he's about going out the door, he turns around and he just, one more thing, right? One more thing. Don't fight. Don't fight. Don't focus on your guilt. Get your eyes up. Focus on grace, the bigger story of what God is doing here. Don't let it bring back division into our family. Don't fight. Don't quarrel on the way. And so as they get home to dad, here's what we read. He's revived. So they went up to Egypt. So they went up out of Egypt, verse 25, and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's the ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. Of course he didn't believe them. Last report they gave him on Joseph was what? Dad? This looks like Joe's, doesn't it? Isn't that the coat you gave him? That really nice expensive robe, the one that you didn't give any of us? Isn't that his? Yeah. Now, of course he's not believing them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. That's what reconciliation does. It revives. It revives the heart of a father who sees his kids who are separated and alienated, completely conflicted back together. That's the heart of our God when he sees us come together. God is pleased. This is what we experience, revival, rejuvenation, renewal. He's revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive and here's his solid hope. I'll go and see him before I die. The one that I thought for sure was dead. I've had him buried for 22 years. I believe he's alive. I believe what you're telling me is true. With all my heart, I believe it. And I will see him. So, it's a message on forgiveness. It's a message on choosing grace over guilt, blessing over revenge. But there's more in the text here. There's more in the text. And it gets to this whole question of, how do you do that? I mean, we can relate to Joseph on so many different levels. 
but not to the depths probably of Joseph. Come on. His own flesh and blood, his brothers, sell him as a slave. He's thrown in jail, falsely accused. He's forgotten there. 13 years of just craziness. 22 years of just having his life completely altered. How does someone like Joseph meet his brothers and lead with grace and, and dish out blessing when naturally everything in him and us was, you want to know how hard and bad it hurts? Let me give you a taste of it. How do you do that? There's a clue in the text. Joseph's view of God is making all the difference of how he's treating his brothers in this situation. And what's his view of God? I mean, he gives it to us about four times in the text here. In chapter 45 and again in chapter 50. So go back to this speech that he first gives that started in verse 4 and pick it up in verse 5 and, and, and notice the repeated phrase. Verse 5. God sent me ahead of you. Verse 7. God sent me ahead of you to preserve you. Verse 8. It was not you who sent me here in Egypt, to Egypt. It was God. It was God. Chapter 50, verse 20. You see it up on the screen. He says it again. And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. To save lives. There's a bigger story. His view of God, of who he is, and what he's capable of. This God who is sovereign over all things, the events of our lives, he is greater than the evil that we experience and can use even the evil that we experience from the hands of people like our own flesh and blood to do a good thing in us and through us. If he'd not been sold as a slave, he'd never have gotten to the palace and to the position where he was to save his family and many others. What we believe about God is not the stuff of a boring theology lesson. What we believe about God has everything to do with how we live our life today. And what he believed about God is that he's a God who's actively involved in this world, in our lives, powerful enough to take even the evil intentions and actions of people and use them for good. He believed that. And that positioned him to lead with grace. Because when we've had this happen to ourselves, one of the great threats to reconciliation is fear. 
Like, man, that was so hard. That, that, that was so painful. God, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can go back there. And when we just see it from here and all we see are the people who have hurt us and not see God who's using even those things for good, we just kind of back away and go, ah, no way. No way. Can't go there. It's too risky. It positions him, his view of God, to lead with grace, to lead with blessing. <laughs> but we go, yeah, but. Yeah, but man, come on. Joseph, he had a lot of advantages. Like this is happening when he's on the uptick. He's like VP in Egypt. Like I'm not there. There's no uptick in my life. I'm stuck in a downward cycle. Man, Joseph, he had every advantage. He's got 22 years of perspective. He's seeing what's going on in human history in his unique place in it. He gets that God is working it out for good. I don't have a clue. I haven't seen anything in, in all of this for however long it's been that even gives me a hint of saying, this is going to work out for good. He had this huge advantage. Yeah, yeah, but Joseph's now in a position of power. I mean, he's holding the cards. I still have the short end of the stick. Yeah, but his brothers, they did repent. They, they, they made it easy for him to forgive. There was a true change in their heart. There's no change in this person who's wronged me. They're not owning up to anything. He's got every advantage. But let's be clear, for whatever advantage he had, for us to think that it was easy for Joseph to forgive his brothers who sold him as a slave, that's crazy. It was hard. It was harder than walking up Everest in flip-flops. It was hard. And so when we find ourselves reeling from hurt and pain caused by those who were close to us, maybe family, we, we find it really cloudy. We don't have the perspective. We can't get up enough, to see out enough, to even have a clue that God might be doing something good. Fear is real and swirling around our hearts and our minds. The prospect of moving close to those who've wounded us, keeping us at arm's length. When we found find ourselves so consumed with our hurt and ourselves and the offense, focused on guilt. When we find ourselves plotting how we could get even, we go back to this story 
and the greater story to which this is a part of. And here's what we remember. If God could do that in Joseph's story, he can do that in our story. And Joseph's story is part of the greater biblical story that reminds us that what was preserved here was not just the relationships in the family. What was preserved here is not just the lives of Jacob's family. What was preserved here is God's promise to bless all the families in the, of the world through Abraham's descendants, of which the promised Savior is Jesus Christ. And the worst thing that's ever happened to anyone was not what happened to Joseph. Is what would happen to Jesus Christ. And it's the worst evil that's ever been committed and it's the greatest good that God has ever, ever done. And if that's true of the cross, then you and I are positioned to start approaching this broken, fractured relationship with all of its hurt in a completely different way. Positioned to choose grace and blessing, to seek reconciliation. And this is supernatural. This whole thing of reconciliation, of forgiveness, it's a supernatural thing. What have we been saying? The natural inclination when it comes to sin from the very first time Adam and Eve sinned is to what? Cover it up. The natural inclination when we've been hurt and sinned against is to hold on to it, not to let that go. Because by the way, the number one word in the New Testament for forgiveness means to send it back, to don't let this hurt and offense bear root in our lives that destroy us, but to send it back. The natural response is, I'm hanging on to that and I'm going to retaliate. I'm going to seek revenge. I'm going to use this as leverage over you for the rest of my life. That's natural. Seeking grace, offering blessing, inviting these people back into our life, that's supernatural. And when we're confronted with the natural tendencies of how we deal with these broken relationships, we realize our need for Christ. Lord, forgive me. Because I, I keep rationalizing and I keep blaming others and I keep deflecting it and I keep covering it up and I don't want to deal with it. God, forgive me. God, forgive me for my unwillingness to forgive. We let all that drive us to Christ. All the pain that you've experienced in this broken relationship to drive you to Christ who knows pain. All the fear drive you to Christ. What did Jesus say to his killers there on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If I'm trying to do this, And this stuff is not theoretical for me. If I'm trying to do this in my own strength, it doesn't happen. I wallow in a self-focused world on my pain and their offense. And, and I'm not able to move forward. We need Christ's spirit. 
that powerful spirit that drove Christ to not just say those words, but to give his life up on the cross. And it's that spirit that'll help us live out the truths of Romans 12. Now, you're used to me reading this out. I want you to read it with me. So let's read Romans 12, 17 through 21 together out loud, all right? Here we go. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That image of burning coals is always an image of purification in the Bible. That as you respond with grace and blessing, that you will have a purifying effect in the life of this person who desperately needs, not just to get right with you, but with their Father in heaven. And so let's note what's happened in this whole matter of this beautiful reunion and reconciliation. The brothers have come clean. There's true repentance going on in their lives. There's a change of mind that's leading to a change of action. There's confession. There's godly sorrow. There's a commitment to obey, transformation. And there's willingness for Joseph to extend forgiveness. I love what verse 18 says. Do you see it again? Would you put it back up on the screen? If it is possible... What is the word telling us? That sometimes reconciliation is impossible because it requires how many parties? Both. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, you're not responsible for reconciliation. You are responsible for confessing. You are responsible for forgiving. You are responsible for seeking forgiveness. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So you haven't stopped thinking about that relationship since I brought it up some 30 minutes ago. What what is pursuing reconciliation in that relationship look like? How is God's word coming to bear? This is a process. This isn't a a 60-minute drama that gets wrapped up that quick. This needs lots of wisdom prayer. This is the stuff we... We talk about in our life groups this week for prayer, for counsel, for wisdom, for insight. What does this mean? How do I do this? What are we focused on? Where are our eyes? Here to the bigger picture. 
Their guilt, my guilt, grace. Revenge, retaliation, getting even, blessing. And what is God calling you to? May our view of God, a God who is greater than the hardest stuff of life, who can use even that for good in our lives, may that move us to be people who are moving towards others with grace and blessing. Let's pray. Lord, we confess we're not good at this. This isn't the stuff of our humanity. And we ask for your mercy. Lord Jesus, you've pursued us with grace. And you've given us your love. In Christ, we have every blessing that is yours. Lord, fill us with your spirit, a double, triple, quadruple measure of your spirit. And the hope of this word to pursue reconciliation with you and others. May we desire it. May this picture of a family reunited after 22 years with all the the heaves of it move us to want to experience the reviving work of your grace, of your reconciling power. May we come out of the shadows and acknowledge who we are and what we've done. May we be people who weep over our sin and the hurts we've caused. May we experience your embrace and with your Spirit's help embrace those who have deeply wounded us and those we've deeply wounded with your grace and mercy and blessing. To the glory of your name we pray. In Christ's name, amen.